0: You know, the thing we always say is we're not trying to change someone's mind. That is not what we're trying to do. I am not going to try and change your mind and convince you that what I believe is better. And let me tell you why. This is why you should believe the way I do.
1: Listen, understand, but not necessarily agree.
2: We welcome you to explore the third place with us.
3: It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging, empowering, and and engaging engaging dialogue.
2: You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations.
3: Thank you for listening.
2: We invite you in to the third place.
3: In July, we shared a conversation with Beverly Horseman and David Lapp of Braver Angels, an organization formed shortly after the 2016 election to bring reds and blues together and heal the wounds between the left and the right. Today, we welcome Chris and Kim Watson, two active members of Braver Angels who find themselves on different sides of the aisle, but within their marriage. One of the core functions of politics is to work towards figuring out our social contracts with each other. What are our rules as we work, play, and all live together? Marriage is similar in that we're constantly working on how we live together in our homes, so really it's very political just on a much smaller scale. Mary and I were both very curious to learn from Kim and Chris what they learned from each other while being on the opposite side of politics in their marriage. They have been married for 33 years and live in Oregonia, Ohio, about 30 miles north of Cincinnati. Kim, Chris, welcome to the third place.
0: Hi. Thanks for having us.
3: Hello. So, Kim, you've been a part of Braver Angels from the beginning. And the reason we brought you here is that you lean blue and Chris, you lean red. Is that correct? That's right. That's That's right. right. Okay. So you like live and breathe the third place, middle place (laughs) every day. (laughs) So I'm really happy that you're here with us. I'm sure many people would think that that is a recipe for just not a fun marriage, but you've been married for 33 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Take us back to the start. Were you opposites politically when you met, or has that been a difference that has changed over time?
0: You want to go, Chris? Go ahead, Kim. Oh, okay. Go ahead.
1: All right. I'm interested to hear your answer.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean... Yeah, perfect.
3: (laughs) That's perfect.
0: (laughs) I think we always have... I've always leaned to the left. He's always leaned to the right. But initially, in our relationship and marriage politics just wasn't that big of a topic i mean honestly you just didn't really talk about it that much so while we had our differences they weren't you know they just weren't something that we spent a lot of time about although i do i have to say this i do remember chris maven or not remember this a big fight we had before we were married over the exxon valdez of all things um I just remember I was so upset, you know, over the ecological damage from this oil ship and, you know, the captain may or may not have been drunk or whatever was going on. And Chris took the side of the captain and the first mate because at the time he was in the Merchant Marine. So, you know, his sympathies kind of lied with them. And I don't I don't remember the details. But yeah, it was a big fight. And so... Maybe that was the start of it.
1: <laughs> well, well, the detail of that was I did work on chemical tankers and did exactly what the Exxon Valdez did, only on the East Coast going to Europe and Russian stuff. And it was my opinion at the time that the Valdez was not the fault of the captain because the captain and the pilot had brought the ship out of the channel up there in Valdez Then turned it over to the mate, who is responsible at that point for navigating the ship on out into the ocean, and the mate screwed up and turned too early and hit the reef, and it was his fault. I mean, yeah, the captain is ultimately responsible for a ship, but that second mate made the mistake of bad navigation and turned too early. And that was what our argument was about. So, I, <laughs> I love,
2: I mean, I'm so a, familiar with the immediately uh, immediate clarification, though. I lo- I loved that, yeah. though, too. I just feel like it also uh, builds into the, the story between the two of you guys. I love this.
1: Kim's a big environmentalist and you know global warming person and stuff. She loves Greenpeace. Well, I hated Greenpeace. I mean... <laughs> Because I graduated from the Coast Guard Academy, was in the Coast Guard as an officer for five years, and then worked for NASA for a year on the space shuttle recovery program where we brought the boosters back that came into the ocean, and then went to work on chemical tankers. And Greenpeace used to really piss us off, it, mm. whether it was Coast Guard or Merchant Marine stuff. They just they get in people's way. They do stupid stuff. And, and so she and I don't really agree on that. And I think do you still give money? Oh, absolutely,
0: visa? every month. Yeah,
1: there you go. So. <laughs> so, it doesn't come out of my account, so I don't see it. Anymore.
3: Yeah, so the budget is is separate too. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, I have yes. my
0: own little pot of money that I donate money to my causes, and he doesn't interfere. I feel with like that. we're already
2: learning. Yeah. I feel like we're already learning tools as to how it works. Um, That's right. I, so I'm wondering. Chris, so in your experience, did you know about her leaning left at um, at the time that you were courting?
1: <laughs> you know, honestly, if I did, I didn't care. I, I mean, politics back then weren't certainly not an is- a big issue for us, and I it certainly wasn't as polarized then it is now. You know, right. I I marched in Richard Nixon's second inaugural parade. And when I was at the Academy, and I thought he was a pretty good guy. I mean, even when he got thrown out of office, I still thought, but I was a Republican. I was raised in a conservative Republican family, which I think Kim was too, actually. Well,
0: I came from a divided household, actually. My mom was a Republican. My dad was a Democrat. And I initially voted Republican because I probably, you know, because my mom, right? I mean, you tend to kind of Follow yeah. your parents, but... And so I do remember voting... Um, I, I know I voted for Ronald Reagan the first term, and and it was actually Ronald Reagan's presidency that flipped me to Democrat.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it was Jimmy Carter's presidency <laughs> that made me never, ever vote for a Democrat again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: You guys are cracking me up. This is so fun already.
3: I'm currently hearing a whole bunch of people listening in like having an opinion (laughs) either way around Trump's presidency because he's done both. Right,
0: right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, What I like that you touched on though too, is that, you know, at the beginning of your marriage, it was less polarized, right? So now, especially in the last four, eight years, it's become far more polarized. So it wasn't a conversation for you in the beginning, you know, not like maybe saying, Hey, do you want to have kids or not? That didn't, politics didn't come Mm -hmm. up. But now that you've been married, you had been married, you know, nearing on 30 years at the time that it started to get far more divided. Like, what has that looked like for you in in the household? I would imagine that's been intense and probably some tough conversations or conflict, or is it still, you don't really talk about it?
0: Oh, no, we do talk about it. <laughs> Certainly, I think things started really changing... Pre-Obama, to be honest.
1: I'll tell you when things started really changing was when you ran for that Democratic office in, in our precinct.
0: Right. Well, I started getting very actively involved in our local, War, you know, Warren County, which is the county we live in, Democratic Party, back about 2010. And to, to be honest, I didn't even... We Our county is, is very red, all right? And we always used to joke with a couple friends of mine, neighbors that were Democrat, that we were the only three Democrats of the county, because um, that's how it felt.
3: I used to work in Warren County, so I'm, I'm laughing. I was the fourth. We just hadn't, hadn't met yet.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you felt like you were the only one. But um, the, the the party, the Democratic Party actually reached out to me because they can tell by your voting record, right? Because in Ohio, you have to register during the primaries if you're Republican or Democrat or independent. So they know who are consistent like Republican or Democratic voters. And they reached out to me to see if I would be interested in being the Democratic precinct official for my precinct because they didn't have anyone else um, really to run. And I had like, who? And so I said, sure, you know, because they said, all you have to do is vote for yourself. You need one vote. (laughs) And so Chris actually flipped and registered as a Democrat so he could vote for me even though he didn't have to
1: do
2: oh that. Oh my gosh, I was not <laughs> expecting that. Had
1: I known what it entailed, I never would have voted for it.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's like every other organization. You get sucked in and then they just, whatever, right. do more and do more. So when I started getting a lot more politically involved locally, and then, you know, that's during Obama. I was campaigning and, and I mean, I think back then there was a lot of enthusiasm even Reds I know who wound up voting for Trump voted for Obama, at least the first term. I don't know, actually, Chris, who did you vote for? I don't remember.
1: It wasn't Obama. It wasn't
0: Obama. Anyway, whoever yeah. he was running against. McCain, maybe. And then, you know, approaching Trump's election is really when things started getting so just, you know, polarized and...
1: Amplified, yeah.
0: Amplified and, yeah.
1: Let's get to the heart of the matter right here and now. When Trump was elected, Mm. she didn't talk to me for a month.
0: Oh, that is not true. (laughs) Because
1: it it was my fault that he got elected. No. (laughs)
0: Well, let's put it this way. I did threaten that if he voted for Trump, he was buying a new truck. And I said, you vote for Trump. You are not getting a truck. Uh, so I don't know. Once he enters the polling booth, I can't control what he does. He told me he didn't. I vote did
1: get Trump. I did get my truck, um, <laughs> and I voted for the third person.
2: So you didn't vote for Trump.
1: I couldn't vote for either one. No.
3: Okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that is I think is interesting thing. So you guys know a little bit of my story. I grew up conservative and Republican, and. You know, just even seeing the Obama presidency, I started to make my own shifts. But within it's like there's we're talking a little bit about red and blue and the differences between Democrats and Republicans. But we also are seeing a little bit of a shift within the Republican Party. There are pro-Trump and anti-Trump. So Mm -hmm. so there's that. So, Chris, do you align or with like I'm Republican, but not pro-Trump or.
1: I do consider myself a conservative Republican. I am not a vote uh, a Trump supporter. I do, however, think it was the best four years of my life because it was hilarious on a day to day basis. You, you oh yeah, all, all the comedians—they you know, was I the mean, best. <laughs> I, I think I think the problem is Democrats just take him too seriously, where Republicans can actually kind of laugh at him a little bit.
2: It's a pretty serious position, yeah. though, I guess. <laughs> but.
1: You know, I've always said, and it wasn't just Trump, a president cannot screw up this country bad enough that it's going to fail. He did a pretty good job of trying, I will say that. But, you know, no matter who's in the White House, there's enough checks and balances there to keep things from really going to shit. But, you know, while I would laugh at some of the stuff he came out with and said, Kim didn't laugh so much. And and Kim has a lot of very blue friends, left leaning friends from Columbus, and to listen to them talk was like, Oh my god, that Kim's left, but some of these people make her look like a flaming Republican. You know, it's it's amazing what comes out of their mouth sometimes.
2: Kim Kim, what does that bring up for you when you think about how he's you know, with it we were talking about sort of the language. Like I think it's really interesting because What's cool about this organization that you're both a part of, Braver Mm -hmm. Angels, is that you really can lean into the fact that it's not just red or blue anymore and that um, it's more the leaning and that it's a spectrum. And, you know, where do you fall in that spectrum? And did you realize that as a result of being a part of Braver Angels or has this just been your own internal discovery? Well,
0: so I got involved in Braver Angels in April of 2017, so right after Trump had been elected, I'd gone to Washington. I was part of the Women's March in Washington, which was the most amazing experience—million women, nobody got arrested. Imagine that! And it wasn't until—and I—and I was involved in Brave Angels, and I was attending these meetings. I'd come home, and I, you know, tell Chris about them, et cetera, et cetera. But he was, you know, he was not participating. He was just sort of this passive observer. And I'll have to say, you know, we had, you know, very, very heated arguments over what Trump was doing and saying. And, you know, he'd say, you're taking it too seriously. And I'm like, for Christ's sakes, he's the president of the United States. Of course, I'm going to take it seriously. And then finally, I think it was in 19, the summer of 19, I wanted to go to the second Braver Angels National Conference in St. Louis. And because the organization, even though it's, you know, all the leadership from the top to the bottom is evenly balanced red-blue, the membership is more, there are more blues and reds. So what they, you know, basically said is if you're blue and you want to go to the conference, if you bring a red with you, you're more likely to get in, right?
2: Oh my gosh. That sounds like Vegas (laughs) where they say, if if you're a guy, if you bring a group of girls, you will get into a club.
0: (laughs) So I said to Chris, I said, look, you want to go to St. Louis and go to this thing and You know, by this time, he'd met several of the other folks, you know, in our local organization, our local alliance. And to my surprise, he said, yeah. And so I was kind of shocked, but he said, yeah. And then when we went and it was just an awesome experience because we had people there. I don't remember, like several hundred people from all over the United States, Hawaii and Alaska, um, Reds and Blues. You know, you're talking to, you know, folks in between all these different sessions and attending workshops. And Chris really, you know, got into the whole spirit of the thing. And to be honest, after that, our conversations about Trump and the state of the country became, while we could still have some heated discussions, it wasn't quite as personal as it had yeah. been i you know learn skills to sort of temper my knee-jerk reaction to a lot of things and i think chris um i mean he can tell you how he's changed but he wasn't um maybe as antagonistic <laughs> as he previously had been
3: well and that's interesting too because like when i heard you talk about the Going to the Women's March, one of my first questions was, can you celebrate something like that? Like, even if you're disagreeing with what the march represents, the fact that we can march represents who we are as a nation, that we have that ability to do that.
0: Well, you know, like the whole January 6th thing, right, in D.C. I mean, at, at the time it was going on, I'm thinking to myself, why the heck are these people there protesting something? Something that, in my opinion, was all a lie, right? The election was stolen. But then I thought back to the Women's March. And, you know, I have a good friend, the guys whose house we're having this podcast from, because he has great internet, who thought my going to Washington, D.C. was the most idiotic, stupid thing he ever heard of. And he's a very strong Republican. He just thought that was just absolute nonsense. And, you know, so I'm thinking, okay, these people protesting on January 6th, well, I don't agree with why they're there. They have that right, just as I had the right to go to Washington. Because if you think about it, the Women's March, we were protesting what might happen. In some ways, we were anticipating what could happen and making our voices heard that no, we're not going to allow you to do that. So, if somebody had said to me, I went to Washington, D.C. on January 6th, I'd say, Well, I don't, you know, that's your right. That is your right to do because I exercise that same right. Now, of course, you know, breaking into the Capitol and all the other stuff, that's a whole different story. But, but, Yeah, I mean, I may not have made that leap had it not been, you know, with my experiences with Braver Angels.
3: And Chris, from your experience, so you're coming to an organization which you're outnumbered, essentially. So the organization, which I didn't know, Braver Angels does maybe have a little bit more of that blue leaning. My assumption would be, you know, in all of the shifts of the last four to six years, it feels like the 10th of the Democratic Party has had to get a lot bigger. There's probably a lot of new Democrats that were maybe a little bit more like Chris, where like, I'm still conservative, but I'm not Trump. And so the parties had to like maybe bust at the seams and maybe in a way that's not healthy. But what is your experience to be a little bit more in that environment where maybe you were a little bit more in the minority in that kind of conference setting?
1: Well, at the convention, it was 50-50, reds and blues.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: They made sure that. Got it. We, we were lucky enough to have at least one member of Braver Angels, which was better angels back then, um, from every state. We had a person from Alaska, from Hawaii, like Kim said. Um, the, I think the interesting part of the convention was we each got a name tag, and the name tag identified us as red or blue. So when you sat at a table for lunch or you sat in a room for some sort of a workshop and stuff, you knew who were blue and red. And Kim can tell you, we went out to dinner with some people that were blue and red and from our area and from of area. I Probably two of the guys I talked to the most that I enjoyed the most were blues from the East Coast. And, you know, honestly, if you get right down to it, most people, I think, in this country aren't far right red, far left blue. They're somewhere toward the middle. And if they have a chance to talk to each other, they find out that they've got a lot more in common than they have you know, against each other. And so I can go on my typical soapbox and say, I believe the biggest problem this country has right now is the fucking media. They just love to stir shit up And it's getting worse instead of better. And watching the evening news during the Trump administration, I don't care what went on. If Trump did a great thing, signed a treaty with whatever, or did sign some bill that benefited whatever, NBC, anyway, had to follow up with a negative story about Trump And it might be four or five months old or three weeks old or whatever, but they just couldn't admit that he did something correct. Now, Kim and I don't agree on that, (laughs) and and I'm sure she'll speak up. But I saw it a lot, and it really pissed me off. I don't watch evening news anymore, or certainly not uh, as much as I did. And I think our big divide is stirred up by that. And it's not just the news media. it's social media. That's probably worse than the national news media, but I don't look at that much. I am a member of Facebook and I see some stuff that these idiot friends of mine post sometimes. It's like, what the hell, you know? I mean, don't put that out there and let everybody see what an idiot you are.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, Kim, what is your take on that? Well, um, I don't engage in social media at all. Mm -hmm. I don't have a Facebook page. I look at Chris's once in a while, but And and to be honest, I think that has kept me more grounded, saner than some of my friends who, again, they are seeing nonstop nonsense and, and hatred and bigotry, you know, because for whatever reason, people just feel like they can just say anything under the sun.
2: Well, especially behind the screen. I mean, there's a lot right. of science that has talked about that, right?
0: Right. So, so people will say things online that, you know, they would never say to your face. And I don't see that. I mean, I, it's there, I guess, if I want to look for it. But, you know, I don't have any desire to listen to this kind of crap. Now, yeah, Chris thinks, you know, the mainstream media stirs things up too much, Certainly, there probably is some of that. I mean, you know, the bulk of my news, to be honest, is coming from PBS. I'm a PBS person. That's what I listen to 90% of the time. You know, we do get a daily print newspaper. I do listen to NBC or ABC every night. By and large, I think they're reasonable. But I agree that people, you know, tend to just look at those news feeds that they, you know, resonate with. And there's just too much bias.
2: Yeah. I mean, like in my household, I've sort of avoided news channels in general too, just because I get really emotional and moved by uh, negativity in a way that it affects me negatively. But that's interesting because my husband definitely really does seek out his information so I can appreciate where he's coming from. And sometimes I feel like I'm less equipped in our conversations because I intentionally don't seek things out. So sometimes I feel like, do I have a place to say? And I've realized, yes, I do. I'm coming from my human perspective, whatever it is. And I think that that's the distinction that I really want to ask a little bit more about too, is that what Braver Angels did and what this convention did is that it brought it back to the human perspective where you got to sit face to face. You weren't getting your bias confirmed from media. Instead, you got to sit there and look at each other. And were you taught then skills or questions to ask, how to be curious, how to find those commonalities, like what were some of those things that Braver Angels provided you that had made it so that you could be more human to human and more productive in people that shared all different values within a room? Well,
0: I mean, one of the things Braver Angels teaches you is look at the person. This is a person that we're engaging with, right? Right and to sort of, you know, use the assumption that you do have more in common than you have different. And, you know, there's different workshops and skills that you kind of go through to understand as Chris said, we have more typically we have more in common than we don't. And it's just, you know, like through Brave Angels I became, you know, friends, I considered them friends with some very very right folks who certainly are, are right of Chris, but because, you know, we would meet, we would engage, we'd talk, you know, and you talk about stuff that's not just politics, right? You know, when you find out, oh, well, you know, you live out in the country and have a big farm and I've got, you know, a big vegetable garden and blah, 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 you know, all whatever, you know, you find things of commonality. And then, of course, we try to use language that's non-confrontational and separate out, you know, the person from, you know, their beliefs. You know, the sad thing is with the election of Biden, we lost some of our long-term reds as part of our alliance. And I don't really know why. Interesting. In in the one guy's case, I, he sold his business. It may be that, you know, now he and his wife are, you know, trying to, travel more. But be honest, I just think either they did believe that the election was stolen and they don't want to say it, at least to our face, you know, and and so therefore they don't want to participate anymore. Or maybe they're just disheartened. I don't really know. But I was sad to see them leave.
3: Yeah, I was wondering about that, if the organization had shifted any, if it's continued to attract blues and reds, or if there's been a mix. Chris, you know, I, I think one of the things that you just said, too, that made me think of this phrase is just the humanness, the language. Right. I, I think one thing that as I've wrestled through not only politics, but just the this idea of this third place moving away from you have to be so binary. You're either this or that moving again to that common. We can be this and that like I can be conservative and blue leaning, like, for example, or or something like that. But that language, I think. The respectfulness, the humility, that is important as foundational pieces of the language. One question I have is this phrase always comes to my mind is agree to disagree. And I'm very curious to know like what your thoughts are when you hear that phrase. Is it even appropriate
1: to use? No, that's a basic principle of Braver Angels is agree to disagree. Listen, understand, but not necessarily agree. So most of our workshops are based on exactly that. I am a Braver Angels-trained debate chairman. And before the pandemic, we had four in-person debates, and we debated some pretty tough topics. Our first one was gun control right after the shooting in Dayton, Ohio, that killed...
0: What, 12 people?
1: Yeah, 12. And and I had... our Well, our farm sitter was friends with the family of the guy who shot all those people. So,
3: Wow. So, yeah, very personal.
1: Yeah. And so I even got a call from the national debate chairman from Braver Angels and said, she says, Chris, you better be careful. This, this is a tough topic and you're doing your first debate as a chairman. And I said, well, you know, jump in the deep end and see what <laughs> happens, you know. And it went pretty well. We, we had two people get so upset they left and we had two other people, both blues, and two other people got up and tried to leave. And our kind of head guy talked to them, and they did come back in. But there was a lot of emotion, a lot of tears and stuff. But yeah, to go back to your question, that's what we try to do. We try, We try to agree to disagree.
0: You know, the thing we always say is we're not trying to change someone's mind that is not right. what we're trying to do i am not going to try and change your mind and convince you that what i believe is better and let me tell you why this is why you should believe the way i do that's not
1: even though she does that with me all well, the time no.
0: sorry <laughs> well but but you know but the point is to listen to what the other person has to say because we're all coming to wherever we're at through all different paths. You don't know how their upbringing was, what they've experienced, on and on and on. And part of that is, you know, and so by doing these debates, we hear that. And and so you, I do find out, oh, well, this is why this person, you know, is always carrying a gun because, you know, of a personal incident where, you know, their life was threatened and this is how they feel they need to protect themselves and they want to keep that right. That's a, just another tenet of Braver Angels is listen to what others have to say Mm -hmm. and don't try to change them.
2: Yeah, we've talked about one of our foundational things or two of our foundational things in the third place too has to be with that curiosity. So asking questions Mm -hmm. and then also the humility that we have a one in seven billionth perspective and experience. Mm -hmm. So extremely unique to ourself. So when the two of those play hand in hand, I think that it really does help us come from a place of being humbled, but also being like, okay, I can, I'm, I'm just trying to understand. And like you said, not change your mind, but can I see again, you as a human? And something that I've noticed about my own experience when I get into conversations around politics is that I can actually get more triggered by how someone says something, whether it, and maybe physical or body language. Like if there's eye rolling, if there's scoffing, if there's, a lot of humor or strong voice, whatever it may be. And I was wondering, does that come up at all in the Braver Angels training at all? Because it's like, of course, it's great to learn to ask questions. But what about how you ask that question or how you respond to someone's answer?
1: Yeah. So at least in the debates that we do, and Kim can talk more about these red blue workshops and stuff we have. But in debates, we use, I think it's called parliamentary rules of debate. It's not like a college or high school debate where you're trying to win. You have to direct your questions to the chairman, i.e. me, if I'm the chairman of that debate. And then I turn your question over to the speaker who has made a speech about for or against the resolution. And then you don't want the questioner getting in the face of the speaker and vice versa and arguing against each other.
2: Yeah, that power of structure. Mm -hmm. That's right.
1: You give a speech, your opinion of that resolution, and then people can ask questions. And they have to ask a question. Now, you give them leeway because they're going to want to speak their own mind on something. And one thing I actually did a little different than the rules of Braver Angels debates was at the end, I would give everybody a 30 second or a minute to just speak their mind. Yeah. On that subject. And I think a lot of people didn't want to put themselves in the forefront to either ask a question or give a speech. But everybody had an opinion, and they would like to get that opinion out there. And, and I thought it worked out pretty well. And I actually noticed that the last national debate I participated in with Braver Angels, they did that.
2: It makes me think of like, a, like tire pressure. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if you could just take a little bit of pressure out of the tire so that then... They could relax into actually listening because think about like, you know, I'm an extrovert and when I have something to say, sometimes I'm only thinking Mm -hmm. about what I want to say. And so I can't even actually be present or absorb what's around me. I think that that sounds like a really brilliant and bite sized way to take the pressure off so that people could
3: listen. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that the work of Braver Angels is obviously needed now more than ever. And I think just really special in, in his modeling Uh, Really so much for our society as we try to navigate moving forward, because we are all Americans at the end of the day. We do have way much more in common than we do that divides us. And I know that in a previous interview, we've interviewed Beverly and David from Braver Angels. And for those that are listening, definitely go check out BraverAngels.org and find out where you can connect in your state to the local presence there. I just wanted to ask one final question for you both. When you dream of what the world could look like politically, like what is that picture?
1: Okay, I'll go first. Yeah. <laughs> benevolent dictator. And I want to be that dictator. <laughs> and I'll be very benevolent. I, I, that's the, I, the, the yeah. perfect, that's a perfect political system.
3: I've actually answered the questions. I've been asked similarly and I've answered the same way. As long as I'm in charge, though, that's good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, that's a great question. I, You know, I guess it's not, you know, it's not like our politics have always been, you know, it was all, it was all perfect until such and such a time. And now it's so much worse, right? We've always had issues and there's maybe just different issues. I guess I agree people can have opinions and beliefs different from mine, but I do wish they wouldn't personalize it to the degree that people have been doing. And I do believe you lead by example. And the last leader we had of this United States set a very poor example when it came to personalizing things. You know, he would belittle people that he disagreed with. And I think that set an example for millions of people to do the same. So, you know, I don't know what that perfect government would be, but I always say, you know, I'm a blue, but we got to compromise. And I do think sometimes we want everything under the sun. And if we don't get it, then, oh, my God, you know, the world's going to come to an end. And the blues are just as responsible as reds. We have to compromise. We've got to find common ground. You're not going to get everything you want.
1: And so on a more serious note, to answer your question, what we need is a good third party who can...
2: Four or four or five.
1: Well, I've, <laughs> I've even got the name for it, the POCS party, party of common sense. Because if the blues come up with something, this party of common sense can say, no, we're not voting for that. If the reds come up with some idiotic thing, no, we're not voting for that. But if the blues come up with something great or the reds come up with something great, say... Yeah, we'll we'll get on board for that. But, you know, it's all money, and that goes in a whole different uh, direction. We had this, what do we call it, Kim? Not proposal, but the money in politics thing. We believe no ballot, no buck. So if you can't vote for the guy, you can't give him money. And that prevents guys like Soros and the brothers from dumping these trillions of dollars into these elections. They shouldn't be allowed to do that. If they can't vote for Senator whatever or Congressman whatever, they shouldn't be able to give them money. I think it's a great idea. It never happened, but it, it's a great idea.
2: I just feel like it's going to be tricky because now we're going to have to define uh, define well, sense. That's That's
1: yeah, common sense That's right. That's sense again. Benevolent <laughs> I know Chris's right. best definition
2: okay. isn't
0: necessarily the same as mine. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. Uh, you know, one last little light question. You guys have mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. You have yes. a son. Where does he lean?
1: We were discussing that on the way over here. We're not really (laughs) sure.
0: Our son's 28, currently lives in LA. To be honest, he knows we're involved in doing this, but as a family, we don't really talk about politics very much. I mean, first of all, he's far away, and when we are together, we got other things to do. But my guess is that he probably follows his father more than me, although... The one conversation I had prior to the election was I asked him, you know, if he was going to vote for Biden and he said no. But he wasn't necessarily going to vote for Trump. But he told me if Bernie had been on the ticket he would have voted for Bernie. And I'm like that makes no flipping sense. <laughs> I mean, I was getting ready to say, <laughs> well, there's, there's the yeah. common sense again. I don't you know how for Biden, but you would have <laughs> voted for Bernie? And so, maybe
3: He's the leader of the future POCS.
0: Yeah, I just think, <laughs> to be honest, I think he's very, probably just very ill-informed.
1: <laughs> I I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think he's probably pretty well-informed, but I just don't think he really cares at this
0: point. I think it's
2: just confusing. Yeah, or it's just how it's a challenging time, I think to also form an opinion. And I think what Braver Angels is doing in conversations like this is that uh, it's a safe place to just have Mm -hmm, an opinion, to mm -hmm, even form mm -hmm. one. So I just really appreciate the two of you coming on. And this has been, my mom would say, it's been a hoot. And I hope that everyone laughed as much as I did. I was on mute for a lot of it, (laughs) but I have been cracking up this entire conversation. And I think that it's really a breath of fresh air to see a couple that's been married for 33 years and that can lean in two different directions and find your own way of living and being in this yeah. benevolent world. And, and politics for.
3: at the end of the day, it's about social contracts, right? And we talk mm-hmm. about politics in this big version, but to me, politics includes how do you run a house? And so you're living politics every day just in that way too. So mm-hmm. the micro and the macro.
0: Well, thank you both for being here. Well, thanks. This, this has been, thank you. this was a lot of fun and, and thanks for inviting us. And Again, encourage, you know, your listeners to check out Braver Angels and we have chap alliances in most of the states, but lots of, yeah, you know, pretty much there's, every state. there's lots of material yeah. on the website and for people to get involved. And just remember, we're all people and 99% of us all want the same thing.
1: And a bit of interesting facts. So in Ohio, the ratio blues to reds in Braver Angels is four to one. So there's four blues for every one red. The encouraging thing for us is our membership went from about 250 last year to over 700 this year. So we've got people joining the organization. Reds and blues. Yeah. I've been involved in something called the Red Caucus within Braver Angels, and our primary focus is to try to recruit more reds. Because what we're finding is we've got a huge amount of blues out there who want to engage with reds that's right but i can only be available 24 Mm -hmm. hours a day you you know i can't engage with every blue out there and that's true of my red braver angels co-members so
2: thanks for pointing that out i do i think that that's interesting it's like that's that's really where i find the hope is that people are looking to that you're seeing growth Mm -hmm. is because that shows that there's a desire to Mm -hmm. to reconnect Right. right so and the initiative that you're doing within the organization, Chris, sounds really important to get REDS uh, expressing that and participating as well.
1: And the other thing is, you know, I believe, I don't know how many national members we have now, Kim, around 40,000, 30,000? Oh,
0: honestly. Uh, is
2: it
1: that high? I don't think it's that high. What we need is a million, quite frankly, mm-hmm. to make a difference. Mm-hmm. We need a million people out there that are agreeing to talk to each other and convince everybody else that they need to do the same
2: thing. That's when you make a ripple yeah. into a wave, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you again. This has been really, really fun and insightful. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank
1: you. See you guys.
2: Bye-bye. Be
3: well. Third Place Podcast is produced by Podcast Publishing House. If you like what you're hearing, follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms Apple, Spotify. Also, check out the episodes on our website, thirdplacepodcast.com, for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes. The third place is all about continuing the conversation, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at thirdplacepodcast. There you can check out our weekly co host, Happy Hours, on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash third place podcast.